Hello and welcome to On Resistance, a horizontal radio collective agitating the airwaves. I'm Bobby London. And I'm Jay. Thanks for listening. As Daniel Holtzclaw, the former police officer who raped 13 black women in Oklahoma trial begins with little coverage by the media, one has to wonder, does anyone but the victims care about rape? On today's show, we will examine and discuss what rape culture is and how people are fighting against it. I also want to highlight how rape culture manifests differently amongst different cultures based on race and gender. And I have a quote about machismo particularly. Um, So I'm going to read that quote. I was preparing for this show and then I read this and it kind of reminded me of the learning process that I had as a child. And the quote is, As niñas, we're taught that machismo attitudes are traditional attitudes. As people of diaspora, we're raised believing it connects us to our roots, protects our cultures, and reminds us of what family should be like. But what machismo actually does is create a harmful system and a dangerous power dynamic. When we are raised in this kind of system, we find it hard to see that there are other healthier ways of being. And since machismo has become a form of everyday control in our lives, it's not always easy to notice it. Sometimes men perpetuate machismo through physical, verbal, and emotional abuse. So this quote, it kind of reminds me that patriarchy takes different forms under the hierarchy created by white supremacy and different cultures have developed patriarchy possibly or as a response to white supremacist patriarchy. And so it kind of reminded me of like the culture that kind of precedes rape culture that includes and and makes rape a tool used in our society to control women and to create fear. I think about when I was younger, how often you hear the term fast girls and the idea that like a girl is fast, you know, because she dresses a certain way or hangs out with boys or maybe she developed earlier. And especially how much young women develops is a part of rape culture because then your body and what you wear starts to be more regulated by both your parents and your schooling. And it's often blamed on the girl for developing quickly and not the man for sexualizing young women. And I think that's just a part of how rape culture is first introduced to young women is in the school system by their parents, entertainment industry, and just the regulation of young bodies. Uh, Yeah, I feel like the sexualization of bodies, especially young feminine people, the expectation of of how, how gender is supposed to shape how sexualized you are, like, really happens at a really young age. And so I remember as a child being taught about rape culture in a way that was telling me that my behavior had to be restricted, that the reason why I couldn't do certain things, the reason why I couldn't have friends or I couldn't visit people, just basically teaching me deep distrust at a very early age. And that distrust, the consequence of not having that distrust was sexual violence, was like you could be raped. I also remember this being like considered a traditional mindset where like I had white peers who didn't have those restrictions. But that was like considered like a traditional mindset my family had for my safety. I was also considered conservative. So I felt like this was a way that I was actually taught femininity. I wasn't taught that I was going to be, I could potentially be raped because I was a woman. It was the opposite. It was like, you're becoming feminine, you're a woman, so therefore this will happen to you. This is what is happening to you. I almost felt like it was something that I was kind of conditioned to like expect rather than like people 
having the difficult conversations with their you know, young sons about like, don't resort to violence, don't resort to sexual violence. Or I feel like fe- my femininity was shaped by expecting sexual violence versus challenging masculinity and how it creates aggression and particularly white male aggression, uh, creating this economy or hierarchy of violence and sexual violence as a tool of that hierarchy. Also, with, there's just this over sexualization, I feel specifically like black women's bodies. I experienced at a really young age and throughout my teenage years, and even now still, just I could see white girls wearing fishnets and a dress, and a black dress, and that's a cute goth look. But I wear a black dress and fishnets, and I have police officers asking me if I'm a sex worker. Often, I think, and this is also you know reinforced by the media, the black female body is violently you see violent sexual acts happening to them. You know, you see often on scenes, you see like rape scenes of black women, of them being abused and physically hurt, more than you see a lovemaking scene with a black female body. And as last week, we saw Gabri Sibdi on Empire, who is a dark-skinned, large black woman, have a love scene, and she was made fun of it. It was something that people didn't want to see. People didn't want to see what they see as precious, being loved. They're so much more comfortable seeing her abused and raped and precious than they were comfortable seeing her have someone love her and care for her. And so what does that mean about how we see the black female body and how much rape culture has to do with white supremacy and also the dehumanization of black women. Yeah, I I heard a little bit of very strong outrage about that scene, which I didn't know that that was the same actress in Precious. So that like makes the contrast that much more apparent. Yeah, I feel like women are kind of always placed in these positions where if women are loved, there is also a tone of violence towards it, like a threat of violence towards it in the dominant media. And I think that this does, navigating constant threats of violence does help us develop tools and means to navigate trauma, which I think helps us be more empathetic people. But I do think there is a difference in how violence against uh, white women is made super visible and um, has a following and like people get involved in combating it. It's recognized. It has representation. But like violence against Indigenous women, black women, and migrant women uh, who might be undocumented is actually constantly being erased from being discussed or being visible. I've been noticing a lot of the mainstream anti-violence campaigns are happening in disconnected academic settings. Universities will have events against rape culture, and that is going to benefit only certain segments of the population that have access to those institutional spaces. And I think that white women are actually more likely to be empowered by the mainstream anti-violence campaigns, whereas usually they're teaching something to the effect of providing therapy and then also like providing police to address rape culture. But for women of color, that doesn't address that the police are rapists and have been rapists. So like going to an institution that allows people to rape, like the police with power and with privilege, isn't really an option. Police, like you said earlier, like sexualize also, so they're not a solution. But a lot of mainstream anti-violence campaigns put police as a solution. Right now, we're starting to hear more about Daniel Holtzclaw. But, you know, even here in Los Angeles, two LAPD narcotics officer 
Luis Valenzuela and James Nichols stalked and raped a 20-year-old woman. And when she kept continuing trying to address her concerns, the police tried to get her to cover it up and try to persuade her not to not to pursue legal counsel. And they continued to work for five more years while two other women had also come forward and said that those men had also sexually harassed them. So not only does the institution allow because of impunity for these police officers to go and rape and brutalize people, but they also cover it up. And it's the culture of cover-up that I feel like is dominant in not only police, but universities, businesses, family, fraternities, to cover up for the rapists. And that helps perpetuate and protect rapists and perpetuate rape culture. Right. And we hear a lot about like the untested rape kits. And I can't remember what county it was, but like they finally processed a bunch of their rape kits and they found that there were 20 serial rapists, that a lot of the people who had come forward had been raped by the same person, and that person was still out on the streets. And then it also makes me think of rape that is used as a tactic of war and also by the state. And so we've found out that the state, the police, will have sex to entrap sex workers. Is that not rape? It's not a consensual exchange. It's entrapment. It's sexual violence because this person has the authority of the police and is going to raid you immediately afterwards. And then the same thing with infiltration. The state has used sexual attacks and creating non-consensual violent relationships with people as a means of infiltrating them and gaining control over them and getting information from them. So this isn't something that society has that the state is immune from. I guess I'll talk about it a little more when we talk about how rape culture is reinforced. But, you know, we were talking about Britain and the prime minister and those circles. And so it'd be interesting to talk about the state really perpetuates rape culture. Mm -hmm. And white supremacy has kind of made rape culture one of the foundations of the entire economy in terms of like how this the West was colonized and in terms of exploited labor and like everything that's kind of happened to get us to this point. And I think the problem with discussing rape culture is that it's looked at as a social issue and not as like a structural issue. You know, the state uses rape as a tactic. Prisons use rape or tolerate rape as a tactic. The state and society are not much different when it comes to rape culture. I feel like what a lot of what reinforces rape culture is kind of what society likes to believe is like a blurred line of what is considered of rape and how for someone to be considered to be raped in this society you know they have to be like beaten and there needs to be someone that they physically had to fight off to like refuse rape and not understanding that if there is no consent then that is rape the reason why there is this blurred line that they like to project that exists is so that they can continue to abuse their power and, and to gaslight people to believe that they weren't raped and that they were in the wrong. Because if you were raped, then why don't you have any bruises? If you were raped, then why did you go out to dinner with this person? Why did you have drinks? Why did you go over his house? Why did you kiss? And there's so much shame that goes into being a rape victim, then most of the time, if you're raped, you never even accuse your rapist. If you're date raped, 
you feel so much shame and guilt that sometimes you don't even um, confront your abuser. And I feel like that's so much a part of reinforcing the culture of rape is the shame that the victim feels. And I think that's why teaching consent is so important, not just so that people don't rape, but so that people know when they are being raped, so mm. that they know that, hey, I was drunk and I didn't feel comfortable and I said no, but you kept going anyways. And we're taught to believe in that blurred line so that it allows for more room for the rapists to continue doing what they're doing. It allows for patriarchy to be able to continue to exist. We should be able to confront abusers, but that's also the structured hierarchy that exists that makes people multiple targets at once because of American white supremacy, that was built on rape and sexual violence and racism. So to call out your abuser isn't really an empowered choice that's made available to all women because, you know, men retaliate. Cops retaliate on behalf of men. Sexual violence or rape can result in death or murder when it comes to women who are multiply targeted for their experiences based on uh, that targeting becomes compounded because of transmisogyny or because of anti-blackness. And so rape culture, I, I was thinking about it as like, it becomes like de- the threat of death culture almost, where women go missing and we don't really know why they go missing. And when, when women combat their abuser, they're more likely to be incarcerated for domestic abuse than the abuser is. In changing how we think about rape and consent and maybe shifting from a place where it isn't expected but like we know how to name it, even the telltale signs as it's developing, because I do think there's like a psychology that goes into rapists. Like I don't think they're just confused or it's like an accident, but also acknowledging that like not all women have the same tools available to them to name their abuser or go after their abuser. And how can we create networks that specifically favor supporting women of color in coming forward and naming their abusers without just the state's threat of incarceration or how men escalate to defend their privilege and how patriarchy organizes to defend rapists. This week, I read an article about how one out of two black women have been sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Honestly, I think that If more people had an understanding of consent, it would probably be everyone. Mm -hmm. And then it just goes back to how devalued the black body is in general and how abused truly black women are. And so how we are abused both physically and sexually. And that's really, I mean, like one out of two, that's, that's a really sad and terrifying statistic. And it's more than a statistic, it's people, it's lives. And there's no resources out there for protection, for coping. A black woman is not gonna feel comfortable going to the state. There's this app that you can get and you can hold down while you're walking somewhere and release it to will you get home or to your destination. And if you're getting attacked, the idea is that you release it and then it alarms the police. But a police coming to my safety is not isn't going to make me feel protected because I am also terrified when I'm walking and I see police officers looking at me when I'm walking just as much as I'm terrified when I see men who are looking at me when I'm walking and it's also just like the class issue when it comes to rape culture and how poor women because of you know either work circumstances 
are often put in situations where they work for people and they're sexually harassed or sexually abused by their employers. And because they're financially struggling, they're dependent on that job and they're not able to leave or they're not able to say anything because they're undocumented and they don't feel comfortable going to the police or because they're on parole and they don't feel comfortable going to the police. And so I think also when we look at opportunities that people have, I mean, really what opportunities do people have? (laughs) I mean, like you have going to the cops who aren't going to do anything. So, I mean, I think pretending like there's some sort of protection or opportunities for those who are victims of abuse is is a lie. You mentioning that women on parole, right, aren't going to like feel comfortable going to the parole officer or going to file a report. That opens up an entire avenue of criminalization and how criminalization basically negates your abuse before it even happens. If you're, you know, have been convicted of a felony or you are being targeted by the state and being prosecuted, they're immediately not going to validate anything that you went through and you experienced. They're actually going to cast doubt and probably use your struggle with the state in terms of being prosecuted against you to prevent you from coming forward about any experience of sexual violence or assault or rape. Um, And that reminds me of like one of the women, one of the black women that Daniel Holtzclaw targeted, most of the black women that he targeted were uh, women who were being prosecuted, who were being targeted uh, in drug raids and stuff. And so he did that specifically because criminalized women are extremely vulnerable population. And he knew that he could manipulate his position as a police officer and that no one would believe these women because of how the state labels and targets people. It's like double, triple targeting, basically. They were targeted because they were black women and because they were criminalized black women. Yeah, the police can't be a tool to combat that. Like, that's a, that's the police. he's a policeman profiting off of that, like, personally using that as a means to justify, to make his rape accessible to him. He's a predator. I imagine most rapists are predators, but police are also predators. So he's like a double predator. Um, And that's why people tell you, like, don't date cops because they're abusers, because they use abuse in their um, means of of enforcement every day. And they're more likely to be domestic abusers and they're more likely to be rapists, I imagine. Because I also heard some stories coming out of San Diego about sexual assault, rape, and also, like, cops just feeling people up during traffic stops. And that's like a much more common thing that people experience that they don't report because they don't, the miseducation of consent or we don't know to name that sexual assault because we expect sexual assault to look a certain way. Really the agencies that the state uses to organize itself, the police and the military and the CIA and the Navy and all these organizations, they are facilitators of rape culture. They are not fighting for anything but that. And they use rape culture as a war tactic. I was studying a little bit, I did a research project on the sexual exploitation of children um, and how that actually manifests globally. But there's actually a huge child sexual exploitation economy in the United States that is underrecognized among homeless youth. Uh, A lot of youth that run away from their families end up being exploited. And a lot of the police in those areas know about it and don't do anything about it. Also part of sex trafficking worldwide is you can track sex trafficking patterns with military bases and military invasions worldwide. The U.S. military specifically um, is linked to sex trafficking worldwide. It's interesting when you think of how 
when rape becomes an issue in resistance spaces, you know, in Occupy, there were several rapes. I mean, that we know about. Who knows how many actually happened? And then in Egypt, during the revolution or continuing revolution, there was a huge issue with women being raped and sexually assaulted. People then began to have to collectivize and work together to create prevention, you know, some sort of way for to escort women, but also care for after they were sexually assaulted so that, you know, if they were just groped or sexually assaulted in some way, that the first person that they could come in direct contact with wasn't a man, you know, so that they can have someone to kind of release that fear with and reflect on what happened. And it's interesting, if you don't want to involve the state, then sort of like what is the solution was alternative because I've seen where people don't involve the state, but then also the rapist just gets away or men beat the rapist up and mm. like more patriarchy on, yeah. on it. I don't really think that's a solution. I don't know too much information here about that isn't dominated by white feminism where women are doing it. But in Egypt, women have started a pink taxi which is a service to provide like a safe way for women to be able to take a taxi with women drivers. Which makes me also just think about here, it's like I don't feel comfortable taking Ubers or any of that stuff by myself. And when one time I did do it, I was actually um, harassed by one of the drivers. There was cases where women have been raped by their drivers, attempted kidnappings have happened. And when the woman fled the attempted kidnapping and called the police, the police then went and started to victim blame her. So she had to deal with double abuse and harm instead of feeling safety and some sort of protection. We still unfortunately haven't really developed alternatives to deal with rapists. I mean, there's like the dream scenario of getting an all-femme gang and beating them up. But, like, how often do you really see that, you know, at least in America? Like, how often do you really see that? I feel like it's definitely important to note that all genders against rape, but also, like, noting that who is most likely to be targeted, who mostly benefits from the economy of rape. Rape has probably evolved, too, because it's been going on for I don't even know how long, you know? Like, it's the the kind of violence that has formed civilizations, it has to be all genders against rape because rape has also been used as a tactic between men to communicate with other men. That, like, in a war scenario, other types of sexual violence, like forced sterilization and stuff. I feel like it's a very specific tactic, and I think the problem is that as, as like, femme peoples, we don't have the means to that threat. I acknowledge that, that rape does happen against people of all genders, but collectively not anywhere near to the same degree. And like, even if there were femme gangs that were going around combating abusers and rapists, there aren't femme gangs going around raping men. And there are groups of men going around raping women, raping people in general. So like, to me, like the most terrifying thing is a group of men. And I also wanna, yeah, acknowledge like the, there is a class divide. And I I think about this because I drive a car and I feel like part of car privilege is minimizing street harassment like less street harassment so it's like totally a class issue where capitalism causes us have to have to travel to like make this monetary resource that we exchange for other resources um, because we're not set up on like a locally sourced economy so people that 
don't have that take public transit public transit is more likely to have harassment not because of uh because poor people are more likely to harass but because like this is a public space that people have access to people with wealth and privilege still harass and still rape but they do it in different ways but those ways are less visible so like you know ceos probably also rapists (laughs) you know but they don't they enjoy so much social capital and so much access to certain spaces that that kind of that rape isn't really as visible you know my fear is usually walking to and from my car and then how if you don't have a car your fear is how are you everywhere right everywhere that you transit to and then like the culture of silence also around rape culture and how rape culture retaliates too if you name it Um, but then also like yeah mostly just groups of men I find are terrifying and I think about this a lot, about how the economy and patriarchy have created this myth that men are the sole leaders. And so I wonder about how fragile those egos are when the economy fails. I feel like that's why they people victim blame migrant refugees is because the economy is failing and their ego is so fragile they can't look at the state. But at the same time, I feel like as the economy falters and fails and capitalism continues to not meet people's needs, and men can't be the sole provider like the myth has told them they have to be, I feel like it will increase, result in increased sexual violence. I think that's why during revolutionary times when things are falling, when resources are hard to get, men resort to rape more. I mean, maybe that was always in them, but I feel like there's an increase in that. I feel like that connects to just how I think it is used as like a power technique and a dominance to like dominate over I feel like most white rich men probably are rapists and if you think about the prime minister right now who just got caught the fact that you know he had sexual acts with a pig's mouth while he was in a fraternity and you think of frat culture and you think about a lot of these really prestigious fraternities and who went there and what goes on in fraternities you know, how many presidents have been rapists? How many generals have been rapists? You know, CEOs, I would pretty say nine out of 10, if not all. And so I think it's this sort of entitled, it goes with entitlement, you know, and I think men have entitlement in general, but I think white men have beyond, <laughs> Could you know, could you like, you know, you believe you own the world and everything on it. And so women and femme people are just there for your taking. The ego of what goes into a person who is a rapist is a lot of entitlement. Yeah, I think when their ego is threatened and there's, you know, the fragility of a white male ego, like what else to do than to assert their dominance over something more weaker, you know? So they hunt and they rape. They hunt. And, I, you know, I think that what also needs to be discussed is how much rape culture, although it does exist in, you know, other cultures, but how much rape culture is part of white supremacy and white culture, how much pedophilia is a part of white culture, and just this, like, over-sexualization of youth and being young, and how much, again, Hollywood just really reinforces this and accepts it and promotes it. It's quite disgusting. You know, I'll look on my Facebook and on things that are, trending will be some 18 like what some 18 year old war or like some swimsuit or some selfie some 18 year old you know famous 18 year old did in their underwear and it's like why is that trending right now i don't want to know this you know why are grown men looking at this picture the idea of barely legal the idea that 
cheerleaders and Catholic schoolgirl outfits are fetishized. Mm -hmm. What is that about? What is bald vaginas about? (laughs) You know? Like, what is the fear of the woman of the age? And, like, and I feel like it's because the older you get, the more aware you are and the more you create boundaries and that is more of a threat and so the reason why young women young people in general are prey to these people is because they can use their power and dominance over them and i feel like we really need to talk about how youth are looked at how like young women are looked at in this country and how that relates to rape culture and how they're over sexualized and why has that continued to be the case? Right. And why is it that the leadership structure supports rape culture? How can we reform rape culture when the structure that has the authority in this case is also like a main facilitator of rape culture? I think about prisons a lot when it comes to rape culture and how prisons actually uh, teach rape culture so that if someone goes to prison and maybe they weren't a rapist before, like if they get sexually attacked and the the jails don't do anything about it, they're learning another means, another tactic um, of power and of, of, of violence. And that sticks with your psyche. And I feel like prisons are a predatory institution that, you know, imprisons people by breaking down their will and breaking down separating them and alienating them from everything good in their life, their family, like women that they probably respect. When there's a rapist that gets, that you go to the police and let's say in this ideal situation that the state believes in that you go to the police and the rapist goes to jail, it's not teaching them not to rape because prisons also perpetuate rape rape culture. So it's just like the solutions, quote unquote solutions that we have, which is criminalizing and imprisoning people like that doesn't prevent rape. That doesn't stop rape. It doesn't interrupt the cycle of rape. The idea that if it is a rapist going to jail, that somehow it's considered just that that person would be raped in jail. And that's just like an accepted cycle. And so prisons don't interrupt rape. And this is right now the only mainstream solution that's kind of talked about. And I feel like it really is very selective white feminism that is not challenging prison and police rape, selectively not challenging prison and police rape. But, you know, we are seeing more talking about university rape and frat culture rape, um, which I do think, like, the same people in the frats are the CEOs. So if they're learning rape culture at 20 years old, they're probably still going to be practicing it when they're on the top of the world of a company making billions. You brought up cycle, and that's the thing about rape and molestation and abuse is that it is a cycle. There's also, because the default is just send the rapist to prison, and then the cycle continues and there's nothing done with that, there's nothing done. There's nothing to stop or to actually like work on why this person is a rapist, you know? And so often people talk about, you know, just kill all the rapists. And it's like, I think if people really knew, a lot of people that you love and care for are probably rapists. We have to figure out how to deal with abuse in our society that is abusive. And that doesn't mean like turning an eye or like love your oppressor, but it is saying that mostly people who have been, who molest have also been molested. People who have been abusive will 
then go and be, you know, you do what you're taught, you do what you learn. How can we start intentionally working on deconstructing these things with the people who are doing it, as well as from a young age, teach what rape culture is and what consent is. And, and also just like, I think we don't teach children to have boundaries. We don't allow children to have boundaries. And because you don't allow children to have boundaries, then when people are crossing it, it's not recognized. And so I think that like teaching children at a young age, this is your body. Me as your parent, I don't have right to touch your body. You know, like no one has right, no teacher, no one. Like you have the right over your body. You're an autonomous being. And teaching people from a young age that, and then also then teaching, continuing the teaching, and then also teaching adults that because we never learned that. It's not an easy fix. It's not a comfortable fix either because these are people in our community. And unless we're going to send them all into an island, or they're going to exist. So how do you deal with rapists? Especially talking about activist culture. Activist culture empowers people to name and out and shame abusers and rapists and then they just they just go back into another community it's the same thing as like activist privilege what about communities dealing with it themselves not just activist communities right this isn't something that should just be happening in activist communities because then we do just split them out from the activist community back into their community so it has to be happening in all spaces um, which there is work being done in LA especially around like the missing women that have been showing up in like Boyle Heights the murdered women it is a constant daily threat it's really just like finding ways to interrupt the cycle I think and immediately find ways to immediately support the person who experienced that but always doing the work of preventing learning consent and boundaries and starting with uh, children would probably be a preventative long-term goal, but then we also still have to deal with the society that we live in now. I find that to be, like, hard because it's emotionally exhausting work to care for rapists, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, that's not work that I can easily ask anyone to do. And so it's like, even if someone does it, I imagine you'd have to rotate out. I've thought about this a little bit. If the rapist is, like, a youth, you know, I feel like there's a lot more room for, like, confronting whatever education process if that person is authentically committed to seeing the harm that they've done I, I, I avoid any type of like reforming rapist type of logic making that person confront what they've done that's something that I can start with older men you know I just have trouble with any type of rehabilitation in terms of people should still have space to confront what they've done but I have less faith that like that will actually change their behavior in any way that they would be safe to interact with But I think these are very complicated uh, questions, and it does require a lot of labor, and it's mostly femme labor, unfortunately. As this world continues to be just a violent place, I feel like as long as police exist and the military exists, you know, rape culture is going to exist. As long as human life isn't valued, then people are going to use violence in various ways, and rape will be one of them. You're seeing all things resist. I think you're seeing femme people resist against it as well. No happy note to end on on a subject like this, I think. So you've been listening to On Resistance. We're on every Friday except for the first at 7.30 on 90.7 KPFK. You can listen to the full show on our SoundCloud. That's www.soundcloud.com slash on dash resistance. Check out our Twitter at OnResistanceLA. Hit us up on Facebook or email us at OnResistanceRadio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 
Bye. Bye.